0: Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth, and I am your host. So I'm gonna preface this audio. Most likely sounds different and not as great as the usual audio quality, and it is because I'm recording this intro through my AirPods right now because I am currently in Orange County, California, which is also where I used to live. If some of you guys do not know, I lived here for five years, uh, so all of college and then plus a year after graduating, and then I lived in Los Angeles after. But That's besides the point. Um, I was out here for a bridal shower, and I typically like to record my intros closer to the release date of the specific episode, just because sometimes I do include life updates or what's going on in my day-to-day life, or um, I just like to be more recent with the intro compared to the recordings, where sometimes they're from weeks prior. But anyways, I will try to keep this short and sweet because this is AirPod quality. But today's guest is Jamie Rakiki. And oh my gosh, can I say I just love her. Her energy is so great. And it was a pleasure having her on the podcast, but also just meeting another like minded friend here in New York City. As many of you guys know, I am such an advocate for continuously putting yourself out there meeting like minded people being surrounded by those people. And you guys will be able to tell just from this conversation that we are very like-minded. We have similar energies, similar way of thinking, similar approaches to life. But also she shares a lot of her own personal insight and experience in her own industry and how that has parlayed over into her building her own business and brand and everything. And so I really love how versatile this episode is. But a little bit more about Jamie and her background, she was Born and raised on Long Island, New York, and she spent her summers in the Hamptons and rode horses professionally. Jamie's passion and love of real estate started at a young age when her and her mother would spend weekends going to open houses in appreciation for aesthetic and design. Ooh, I love that too. <laughs> and to understand the market trends, neighborhoods of opportunity, and of course, out of love for beautiful homes. Prior to working in real estate, Jamie spent over 15 years running global fashion houses, and that experience has given her incredible insight into the global markets and trends. Jamie's love of beautifully designed homes has led her to build her personal real estate portfolio, which also includes developing new construction homes. Her passion is in seeing the project from concept to completion and the joy of having her new home owners be a part of the design process for their dream homes. Jamie now resides in Manhattan and has recently adopted her rescue dog, Luna, from the streets of Mexico. She has a passion for travel and enjoys learning about new cultures and lifestyles. And she was also noted as a rising star of 2021 and ranked as one of the top listing agents for 2022 by The Real Deal. So, as you guys can tell, she has a lot of great experience and success, not only in the real estate industry, but also in fashion and her previous work and as always no one has a linear path to where they're at now and I really enjoyed this conversation with Jamie I think you guys will learn a lot from her in various aspects so with that being said let's dive into it Well, Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to chat about real estate and luxury, real estate in New York City. I found you, as I told you before, Because I was, um, you know, this is something I do all the time. I go through the Instagrams and pages of buildings I love. um, And I was like, wait, there's so many photos of your building. And I was like, I love this. And I found you. And I was like, wait, she'd be a (laughs) badass woman to talk to on the podcast. So here we are. So thanks for coming on. Um, Can we start with your background, share your childhood, your upbringing? where you went to school, your first job out of college, like share the little journey along the way. Yeah,
1: happy to, and thank you so much for having me. I was like so excited and like honored when you found me. I was like, I can't believe she wants to talk to me. Um, So thank you, I'm happy to be here. Of course. Um, Yeah, so my childhood, I grew up on the south shore of Long Island. Um, Grew up riding horses professionally. So that was like, I was the horse girl and that was the thing that I did um, 24/7. But on the weekends, my mom and I, we always loved real estate. So we would go Mm. around and we'd look at all the open houses and like, stroll into the really expensive properties and <laughs> look at all the finishes but that was like our fun Sunday thing to do and mm-hmm. back then like you would look at real estate like in the post or in the New York Times and you go through all the little classifieds and we'd be like oh there's an open house today yeah or we would just drive around the neighborhoods and look for the signs. so like that was always our, our weekend adventure when I wasn't riding. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to high school at John F. Kennedy High School in South Belmore and then college at Hofstra University mm-hmm. but my whole path my whole career path was kind of I never really knew what I wanted to do. At one point, I wanted to be an artist, and I wanted to go to law school. Then I just yeah. wasn't sure. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll just get into business. But as I was going to school, my parents were like, you need to get a part-time job. You need to, you know, learn responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I was like, of course. And I was always that way from riding horses because it teaches you to care for something else in yes. this discipline at such a long, young age. Yeah. Um. So I got a part-time job working at Banana Republic in the Americana in Manhasset. So... <sighs> And it was like the pretty mall to work in, but I was a cashier making minimum wage, but like just grinding it out. Like I just loved being around the customers and Mm -hmm. helping people Mm -hmm. and and doing whatever I could to learn from everyone around me. Mm -hmm. Um, While I was going and working that part-time job, my mom unfortunately got cancer for the first time. So Mm. then the pressure became a little bit more important to work and really like build a career, I think faster than... I had anticipated. Um, So as I was going to college and also working this part-time job, then they offered me full-time and then I was running back and forth to Staten Island because my mom was in the best hospital at the time for, you know, pancreatic cancer. So Mm -hmm. it just became so daunting and so much. So I ended up... They offered me a management position, and the salary was great to be, you know, making that kind of money right. in while you're in college, um, and I, I kind of had to make a choice. I, I knew I couldn't physically do both because mm-hmm. they didn't allow you to have limited availability mm-hmm. if you wanted mm-hmm. to be a manager. Right. So I didn't finish college. I t- kept the full-time oh, job, wow. which was not the path that I thought I would go on, right. but it was what was responsible at the time for my family. Wow. Um, Wow. But I ended up building this amazing career in the fashion industry off of it and, you know, running, being store managers and running stores and then uh-huh. throughout over the years becoming a district manager and a regional manager. And then lastly, um, I ran sales and operations for North America for Hugo Boss for seven years. So oh, wow. it really took me on this path that I yeah. never expected to go on. Yeah, And it really was in a sense, probably the right path for me because mm-hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to do and I was going to school to check the box. right? And, um, you know, so that's kind of how I ended up in the fashion industry. And I did that almost my entire life. Mm. Um, about eight years ago, I kind of started to get the itch to get my real estate license and to do something else because I wanted to build my own business. Right. My mom passed away in 2010 and after she passed away, Then I was like, okay, I don't have to stay on this path anymore because I was on this path, although I loved it. It was really on this path because it was what I was deemed responsible, right? Right, And so I could be taking care of my family. And then when I didn't have that responsibility anymore and it was just me, I was like, wait a second, I can kind of do what I want. Mm -hmm. So it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to do more. When you're stuck in that corporate life, though, the safety of it is really hard to walk away from. (laughs) So I started getting the itch after my mom passed and then... About it was like six or seven years ago, I got my license, and I started doing it part-time. Okay. And I started selling real estate part-time, and I was like, I'm going to see if I like this, and if I'm good at it, then I'll I'll leave my corporate job. I, you can't do real estate part-time if you want to be successful. Okay. <laughs> like, if you really want to be successful, you really have to throw yourself into it. And I'm that person. When I do mm-hmm. something, like, I need to give it my all. Otherwise, yeah. I don't believe in it. Like Yeah. Like, if, if I don't want to give it my all then I shouldn't be doing it. And that's really mm-hmm. just who I am in my core. Yeah. And that's not for everyone that's in my relationships. It's in my, part, <laughs> my professional life. Like, I give it all. And if it's not for you, cool. But yeah. that's just me. Right. Um. So I, you know, I got my license. I did it passively. I really knew that I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. But then I just kept getting promoted and promoted and promoted at work. <laughs> <The handcuffs. laughs> it was like the handcuffs were there, right? Right, right? And it was like, how do you make this choice? And then it was 2019, like... September-ish someone reached out to me from a startup company mm. and they're like we're building this amazing startup you'll be the perfect person to come be you know our, our chief um our chief of staff and like yeah. you should come and you know we'll groom you to be the COO and this will be an amazing opportunity for you so I was like really happy at this point in my corporate life yeah but I want to no, know I want to do something that's a little bit more entrepreneurial. Right. Maybe this is the right thing to do. So I left my amazing, comfortable, wonderful life at Hugo Boss after seven years um, and took the jump to go run this startup. Mm-hmm. I started in October 2019 mm-hmm. for a startup that really didn't have a whole lot of money. Right. Right pandemic hits. (laughs) You You see see this timeline (laughs) happening, right? Timeline happens, pandemic hits, it's March, we shut all of our operations down, and we're ready cash flow negative company. So and I was like an extra layer. So I just knew and I stayed and I stayed. And I shut the operations down. I was part of laying everyone off. And then I I knew that my time was borrowed because I was an extra layer. Yeah. But I, at one point, I was like, I'll work without salary because I want to help the business because I cared that much right, about it. Right, right. But then came the summer. They're like, we literally can't sustain you anymore. Yeah. And my job got eliminated. Right. And it's the summer of 2020. Oh. The world is shut down. Yeah. Where am I going? Who's hiring? Right. And then, but I just couldn't even, and I had some people reach out to me from my past of like, come back and work for us. Come do this. We'll find a way for you. But I couldn't bring myself to do it because in mm. my heart, I just didn't want that life anymore.
0: Mm.
1: And I was like, well, I have my real estate license. Yeah. I know I don't want to go back to this life. Right. I know I want to be free. Yeah. What should I do? So I was like, well, you know what? This is the universe slapping me in the face and saying, <laughs> this is your time. Go do it, right? Yeah. So I um, I took a couple of months off, like regroup myself. And then, you know, in 2021, 20, January, just full steam ahead, just committed to real estate. And I've never looked back. And I'm, it was the most... Harfing, scary decision to make to like walk away from all of that security of what I could have had, right? To then do this, but it was the most liberating thing I've ever done, yeah. And I could not be happier, so that's kind of the short, long version of (laughs) (laughs) how I got into real estate. But um, that's why I've been doing it full time, you know, only really a year and a half, but it's been such an incredible experience, and I learned a lot about. A lot of your success Mm -hmm. is relationships, Mm -hmm. it's work ethic, and it's being consistent. And if you just do all of those things, it really isn't rocket science. Um, And I think that's in a lot of things in life. I think if you really trust yourself Mm -hmm. and you bet on yourself, that really is the answer. So that's kind of how I did it.
0: I've always believed the foundation of our fulfillment in life doesn't come from our success, but rather the strength of our relationships, not only with others, but also with ourselves. And how we develop a deeper connection is through self-reflection and purposeful conversations with those around us, especially like-minded individuals. And that is exactly why I created the What Fulfills You card game, to cultivate both more meaningful relationships with others, as well as ourselves on the journey of personal growth. I certainly use these questions as a guide for journal prompts and weekly check-ins with myself, and of course, when I am playing this game with friends on a Friday night in, you bet I am enjoying it with a glass of wine or two, who knows. (laughs) Shop the card game now at whatfulfillsyou.com and enjoy an exclusive 10% off for listeners only with the code whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout. That's whatfulfillsyou10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. Enjoy. I love that you shared, especially because I think a lot of people, I'm, I'm like, a, I'm, I just turned 25, but I'm, you know, a lot of my audience is on the younger side. And so a lot of them struggle with knowing h- how to go through college mm-hmm. and post-grad life, figuring it out. As you yeah. remember, it's it's uh, very daunting. You don't know what you want to do. And you shared right there, right? You went from fashion for so many years and, and also to not even finishing college for, you know, your personal life reasons and being able to climb the ladder that way, still having success yeah. there. And then recognizing a good pivoting point to test out real estate and then of course leading through the pandemic and all of that right and i love that you mentioned too that you're not like a half-ass person, right? Right, and someone I love that says this, Kevin O'Leary. He always said, you know, you're either in or you're out. You can't have one hundred percent. Right, 100% right? Agree. you can't have. Two, <laughs> you can't but, have right, both. Like, right. don't put your
1: toes in because mm-hmm. what are you learning from that experience? Right,
0: right. And and I think that's the thing too. Is so many people are often scared in, in many different aspects outside of like their career, but in particular career, it's like they're they're trying to ha- build that safety net just in case but if you have that plan B right. I've always believed that that means you're you're not going to you're not willing to take the biggest risk of all and I think I don't know from what what your thoughts are on that but I think that typically is what is the reason that holds people back from actually exponentially growing in whatever that part of life is.
1: I cannot agree more. I think if you ha- you're going to make a decision to do something, the only way to really do it and be successful at it is to give it your all. Because mm-hmm. if you're just dipping your toe into it, you're not giving it your all, so you'll never really know how it will turn out. And mm-hmm. then that's often why people fail, because you can't you can't be successful. I really don't believe in anything in life if you're just yeah. giving part of yourself. Right. And I have this funny story that my mom, when she was teaching me how to drive, I was going about to go through um, a light that was turning yellow and about mm-hmm. to turn red, and I like po- I got scared. I was like my first time in the intersection, yeah. right? <laughs> and this is like so ridiculous. So, <laughs> so I like I stopped in in between, and I almost got hit because mm-hmm. I paused.
0: Yeah, and she
1: said Ooh. to me, "She's like those who hesitate die." And it was so it's such an extreme thing to say, right? Yeah, yeah. But it it's it stuck with me since I was like I think fifteen or sixteen when she mm-hmm. was teaching me how to drive, mm-hmm. and every time I'm about to make an, a decision and I hesitate. It, yeah. Like that quote rings I true love that. to me, right? I love that. But it's also like, who are you betting on? If you're not, right. you have to bet on yourself. Yes. And when I was going through this whole transition over the summer of 2020, and what do I do? I was like, well, I can go back into the corporate world mm-hmm. where companies are still collapsing because of the pandemic. Right. So now I'm going to bet on somebody else who's running the company to make it successful. Right. Or I'm going to bet on myself. Right. And go do this. And yeah. like, if I fail, it's on me because yeah. I didn't give it my all. So- Right. I, I totally am a proponent for like, if you're going to do it, do it all the way and yeah. at least know you gave it everything. Yeah.
0: I feel like we think alike too. And this is why I reached out because I was yeah. like, I can just tell the energy, but all, the, that thinking, the, the whole like yellow red light thing right. and like you either go or you don't. Yeah. I, I've i always been like that too, even with driving or when I did drive in California, yeah. I don't drive anymore <laughs> here. But it, it's it's very true. I think it's like, that's what I love about people, especially in business, or a trait that I look out for people is being decisive. Yep. You either know or you don't. There's no maybe, right? Like the same thing, yellow or red. Like You either go or you don't, right. but you make the decision and you stay firm with that. And then, you know, if something else comes up or in terms of real life, if something else comes up, you, you evaluate and then you make the decision and move on. Right. People that have, in my opinion, especially I think this is advice in career too, is people that are like kind of wishy-washy dilly-dallying, hard to make a decision, really hard to work with those people and be, you know, friends within life. You know, it's like, yeah. you want to get dinner or you don't? Like, you know, so if you don't, it's
1: cool, but just tell me. Right. No, I, I totally, I totally agree. I think you have to be decisive. And mm-hmm. I've always been someone who's like very instinctual. And I found mm-hmm. in the moments where I've maybe gone down or, or even not even really gone down, but caused myself just anxiety mm-hmm. is when I've, Made decisions where I distrusted my own intuition, and mm-hmm. I'm like I know what I should be doing, but I'm questioning myself, and then it makes you spin out, and then it gives you anxiety. And I think mm-hmm. as you get a bit older, as I've gotten older, definitely become a bit more grounded in myself, right? And I know when those moments are going to happen, and mm-hmm. I like can check myself. I'm like, okay, you're, you know, you're creating this anxiety for yourself. Mm-hmm. When has it ever helped you to be? It's never changed anything, right? Right. right. So own the decision right or wrong, you own it, you made it, like, and then figure it out and mm-hmm. find a way. And yeah. I really, like, let's try how I live my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to get into how, like, the beginning stages, because I know it's, it's still newer to you, yeah. luxury real estate. Can you share the initial beginning, like, especially, I as mean, you said January 2021. So this was, you know, like, a roughly, what, nine months after the start of the pandemic. 2021 was still like slow build out of the pandemic. But from January, I remember I was I was visiting back and forth like it was still pandemic feeling. Right. Right. So what was that like? And in the market during that time, too, was very interesting. Right.
1: Yeah. So I was quite fortunate in the respect that I'm really like a relationship person, whether in in all areas of my life, but I believe that if you're really, if you're good to people and you treat them the right way, like mm-hmm. good things will come from that. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to have relationships from, you know, my past life and where I got referrals for clients early on mm-hmm. in early January. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also kind of used that beginning time to really get myself settled and really decide how I wanted to create my career in real estate. Mm-hmm. And there were so many people telling me, you know, you're new, so you need to go and you only should focus on rentals and you should work underneath mm-hmm. so on and you should, you know, learn mm-hmm. the ropes that way. And <laughs> I'm like, and Elon Musk says this, and it's something I truly believe. Like if you give yourself six months to do something, it will take you six months. Yes. If you give yourself, I forgot how many days you yes. said, but whatever, it'll take you that long. Absolutely. So I was like, yeah, I'm new, but I also have a business acumen. I've also worked for some really large companies. right. I don't want to approach it that way. Like, I knew when I started doing this that I wanted to work in the hyper-luxury market. I knew the kind of client I wanted to be around, and I felt like if I went that path and and allowed myself to take that long to get there. Of course Mm -hmm. it will take that long. Mm -hmm. So it was an uncomfortable decision to make, but I really – I didn't do any of those things. Mm -hmm. I really focused on studying the product and going to all the top buildings and comp Mm -hmm. shopping and learning the ins and outs of, like, how these developments are built and Mm -hmm. the different finishes. And then I was like, okay, I'm not – this is how I don't want to market myself, and this is how I want to market myself. Mm -hmm. And I went probably a good – Five months without closing anything, Uh other than the couple of deals I had brought over with me um, from referrals that Mm -hmm. I had, and it was an uncomfortable place to be, right? Mm -hmm. Especially Mm -hmm. when you're used to having a salary. (laughs) But I knew that the taking a little bit of a longer approach and kind of building that. That brand of, mm. that I wanted my personal brand to be right. would ultimately get me f- much further faster. Yeah. So that's what I did, and I really, really focused on that hyper luxury market. And you know, I was lucky enough that I, um, you know, sent out some handwritten notes mm-hmm. in the neighborhood on the Upper East Side. I had mm-hmm. two townhouse referrals come from that, and yeah. kind of just built my business organically through that. So, yeah. you know, it was not easy. It was a little uncomfortable, definitely. <laughs> right. But I right. knew that I knew the path was the hyper-luxury path that I wanted, yeah. and to the point about going all in, right. I knew I couldn't do that if I was going to kind of dip my toes down here and, and yeah. focus on just making the quick buck, because yeah. the quick buck was going to distract me from the end goal. Exactly. So, you know, it's a sacrifice, but that's why I'm like, always a proponent, go all in on what you want. Right. The path might be different
0: to get there,
1: Right. but if you know what your goal is, you just, it, it'll come. It just, you have to be flexible.
0: Yeah. And like you said too, it, it, it took some time, yeah. right? Which, which a lot of people, I think, again, my generation especially, they think everything comes, comes overnight. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because I'm personally like an old soul. So I always feel like I was born in the wrong generation. Right. And I've always been like, you guys, like things, like even like my podcast, everyone sees what it is now compared to like two years ago. Like you guys don't get it. Like it's it's showing up every single day, being okay with the, the bad days, right. right? The days where you're like, why haven't I closed a deal yet? For mm-hmm. example, I used to work in sales. So I get it, yeah. you know? Um, and so, so many people think like, oh, this should be happening sooner. And it's like, no, actually, like most of these things take a long time. You just don't get to hear some of the behind the scenes, which is why I like to talk about these things because that's why you're where you're at now because the first couple of months was- It was uncomfortable. Right, right.
1: But you have to keep showing up to your point. And Mm -hmm. even when it's uncomfortable, you have to keep showing up and you have to keep doing the work and just be confident enough in yourself that it will come. Yeah. Um, And and exercise patience. And patience is one of, I think, my strongest- suits because oh, I really good. believe <laughs> because I really believe that I you know, you have to put the time in mm-hmm. and the effort in for something to be successful. Yeah. But you have to do it every single day. Mm-hmm. And not mm-hmm. a lot of people are willing to do the work every single day when they yes. don't get the immediate result. Yeah. Which is why I think a lot of people in whatever career they're in yeah. give up because mm-hmm. they don't get that immediate result. Yeah.
0: And, you know,
1: yeah life isn't like that. Unfortunately. <laughs> I wish it was right.
0: Well, now something I was always curious to. I had this in mind, so it's a great question for you. how what is it like in in terms of competition in New York City, right? It's very competitive. Yeah. How do you not let competition get in your head? because, in my mind, I'm like, My initial thought is, is it like so saturated to be a broker in New York City? I mean, and then also tapping into the luxury market. I mean, how does one do that? You know, like I'm really curious, like how do you just jump in and, and, you know, play with the big dogs? I think of it like, like, I don't, you know, is this scary? I mean, I feel like a lot of people would be like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to compete with you know, especially? I used to watch Million Dollar Listing New right. York, um, during my I, my board time during COVID, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I can't wait to live in New York, and right. now I'm here. But I'm like, Honestly, it's pretty intimidating. With in that, I mean, how did you do that? Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it anything's intimidating if you allow yourself to think about the other people, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you're like, I know what I bring to the table. I'm confident in who I am. I'm authentic to the point where some people, it's not for everyone, right. but what you see is what you get with me. Yeah. And I really am who I am. And I think a lot of people go into this business. It's probably the most oversaturated business of all like, you know, 1099 <laughs> businesses, right? Like right. everyone has their real estate license, <laughs> but a lot of people don't want to do the work. Yeah. They don't want to show up every day. They don't get the instant result. They, they back away. Also, a lot of people don't have the confidence to go and after that $10, $15 million listing where I'm yeah. like, if I don't get it, then I wasn't the right one for them and that's fine. Yeah. But I know I went into that pitch and I gave it everything and I you know, sold myself. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people, and I have a lot of very, very loyal clients yeah. who I've, I'm have lear- really learning their loyalty as I've mm-hmm. transitioned from one company to the next in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, and that loyalty really stems from, I think, them – knowing that I will I will put their needs above mm-hmm. my own paycheck right. every single day. And a lot of people get in this business because they see on million-dollar listing that huge commission, which, <laughs> by the way, very rarely ever happens that you get both sides of the deal and take out the taxes from that. And it's like it's a lot lower than that million-dollar commission that they show. Um, but, you know, a lot of people get in this business because of the money. And there's yeah. amazing money to be made. Right. Don't get me wrong, right? Uh-huh. I'm making more money than I've ever made in my corporate life and as I look back at it I'm like I was afraid to leave my corporate job where I may or may not have got a raise where no one's going to ever say to me you made too much money this year right right, Right. because I control it yes so you know I but people get into it for the money and I don't think that getting into any career or anything should be about the money Mm because you should do what you love right if you're doing what you love and you're being authentic and you're really you know putting your client's interests first Mm -hmm. the results will come yes and people will feel that yes people can feel when someone's desperate they can feel when someone's in it for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. and that makes people shy away from it. Look, there's also people out there who love that, mm-hmm. and there's clients who love that. I'm not that. I'm not the right broker for them then. Right, <laughs> and right. I'm okay if I don't get the listing. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are also afraid to put themselves in the room because mm-hmm. they're afraid of the rejection when it comes to like the hyper luxury. I see. I'm. I'm like, all right, it didn't work out.
0: Cool. What's next? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question.
0: What is the process like with so this is definitely for those who are super curious about real yeah. estate too, which I am, but like how does one like do you how do you reach out to a ten million dollar listing? Like do you do you just like just do like a normal outreach or, or how does that process work or do they find you or do you have to be in a pool of people that can sell that kind of property like how does that work yeah. and what is considered hyper luxury i guess in new york as well yeah i
1: mean i think anything over five million is considered okay. luxury i okay. think anything over 10 is like from 10 and up is like hyper luxury Got it. um anyone can pitch anything that they want okay um so we all can go pitch you know you start today in real estate your first day you can go pitch that 60 million dollar listing yeah um you know, I think you have to walk in there with confidence, and you have to be genuine. Yeah. But and people appreciate that. But you know, the process to get there and how I get those clients—some of it I won't share because it's my secret. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I think a lot of it comes from relationships mm-hmm. and it comes from referrals. And you know, I had two townhouse listings that I signed um, last year that came from you know some organic outreach that I did, mm-hmm. and you know, I wrote handwritten notes and and put them in their mailboxes, and then they reached out to me and. For one of them, I drove three hours each way four times to meet the owner at his office before I convinced him to give me the listing over someone who was super seasoned to it also reached out to him from oh, another company. Uh-huh. So a lot of it is also your tenacity and people yes. feeling like, yeah, I, I'm willing to keep driving up here mm-hmm. not knowing if I'll get the listing yeah. to show you that I really want it and I really care. Right. Um, and I think so that's a big part of it mm-hmm. is, is being consistent and being having that follow up. But also... I like to under-promise and over-deliver. Yeah. I will never promise something if I don't think I can do it. Right. And that's something that really is important to me. Like when I say I'm going to do something, mm-hmm. I will find a way to get it done if I yeah. make that commitment to you. And if I don't yeah. think I can do it, I won't tell you. Right, And a lot of people, will do whatever it takes Mm -hmm. to get the listing Mm -hmm. because they want to sign it and to them it's a number and it's about having that extra listing Mm -hmm. in their pocket. For me, it's not about that. It's about the client's experience and them feeling really great about working with me. So I think it's all how you position yourself. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's different tactics to get in touch with people and some things work better for others. I'm not a big proponent of like the flyer in the mail, like the shiny thing. Like it feels like (laughs) it doesn't feel... I don't, it doesn't feel genuine to me. So there's other ways to do those things, but Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of luxury real estate, can you share some insight into why people are willing to buy properties here in New York compared, so I say this too, because my aspiration is definitely to be in New York City Mm long-term, Manhattan in particular, as you know, I mentioned, I, I I will go and look at buildings, you know, that I would love to, like, buy, in, right. you know, in the future. Well, and I know a great broker. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I have my eye on one. <laughs> um, and it's always funny, too, because I'll have um, people tell me, like, oh, my gosh, you can get a mansion in Texas for, you know, that, right? And I'm like, well, to me, I, my argument was always, well, what's the point? for an 8,000-square-feet home in Dallas when I still want the Empire State Building as my view. <laughs> it's so true. Right? So, like, what are your thoughts? Because, obviously, you've experienced it. You are communicating with people that buy and yeah. purchase here with, you know, extremely – numbers are crazy, crazy. right? Right? Yeah. And so people are always like, I can't – like, I can't – like, people are just like, I can't even – conceptualize like how why someone does that yeah. but you're around these people can you give some insight into some thoughts around yeah that? definitely
1: and i think the pandemic really proved it so many people panic sold here and moved yeah. to florida <sighs> And then they got there and I look, I love Florida for a a moment, but I I, I need the pace of New York. And then they got there and they realized they live in Florida. Mm -hmm. So now they're all coming back and they're driving where they sold at the bottom, they're buying at the top. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think New York will always be this global city. It's the most resilient city in the world, Mm -hmm. you know, from 9-11 to Sandy to all the things we've gone through. There's no place better than New York. And I, I mean, you know, we've traveled the world. Like every time I come home to New York, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, there's just something about it yep. that inspires me every single day. And mm-hmm. even the way that it bounced back from the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I think that in New York is an emotional buy. Yeah. And I have people who say, well, I don't want to overpay. But if you're living in it and you're going to love it, and you're going to build your home there. Right. Then like, is there overpaying for it? Because yeah. if you're not looking at it from a technical investment perspective mm-hmm. where you're going to you want these huge appreciations, yeah, yeah, are you going to get it in some pockets of New York? Yes, and New York mm-hmm. will always appreciate well. Right. So, But if you're living here, it's because you want to live it and experience it and it's emotional and you feel connected to it. And yeah. I would say... 99% of the buyers are buying in New York mm-hmm. because they want a piece of this amazing resilient city yeah. that has this spark that no, you just can't <laughs> replicate anywhere else you can't yeah um yeah. and i i think that that's a lot about it and i think mm-hmm. it's also been a buyer like a mindset shift um you know, I have this one once one deal that I'm working on and the buyer came in super, super, super low. He's mm-hmm. um he's a finance guy on mm. and <laughs> gave the, this ridiculous offer on this amazing, stunning townhouse. And we've been going back and forth for four months on it actually. Yeah. But I kept saying to his broker, he has to understand if he's gonna live here and his family's gonna live here, this is emotional. Like right. he needs to love it. Like yeah. he's gonna love it. He loves this house. Uh-huh. Like so pay for it because uh-huh. you you love it and you stop looking at it as like a dollar figure yeah. and you know and we've gotten there we've gotten him to understand it and to really he's like no I love this house I have to have it yeah. right so i mean fingers crossed this happens this week. Um, but you know, I think it's really an emotional, emotional thing. And people feel connected to the city. Mm-hmm. And that's why people buy here. You're not buying for the space. I'll right. tell you that. Right. <laughs> like, you're not buying for the space. I mean, it's the views, it's the resiliency. It's just about being around global, you know, this global culture. It's mm-hmm. such a cultured city. It
0: is. And if you want that, Yeah. You know? I know. And it's funny, too. I'll get into, uh, you know, debates with some friends that are, you know, that live in more of, like, rural or Mm -hmm. suburban areas in, like, Pennsylvania, where I'm from, all that. And they're like, like, how does one raise a family? I mean, can you answer that question? Do you know? Like, have you sold to people that, like, have families? Like, is what is their thought process on, like, raising a family in New York City?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we have great parks. We have great school districts. Um, We have, you know, what you learn from, I think, from, like, being a child in New York City and kind yeah. of that, like being around all of these different people and all mm-hmm. these different cultures and being able to be resilient and a little bit street smart. Yeah. You just street don't smart. necessarily get growing up in the suburbs. And oh, I grew yeah. up in the suburbs, right? You're yeah. very isolated and you're, it's, oh, you for think sure. there's one way of living yeah. and then you come into the city and you're like, wow, there's so much more. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have children. I can't speak to it. My brother, I have a nephew, but he, and, and two, two nieces and two nephews, um, but they all live in the suburbs between New Jersey and Connecticut. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they that's a great life for mm-hmm. some people. Mm-hmm. If I ever decided to have children, I would want them raised in the city because I would yeah. want them to understand, like, yeah. what... This culture is about, mm-hmm. and yeah, you can drive up to Hudson Valley for the weekend, or you can drive to Connecticut or drive to New Jersey and get right. out and do things. But to live here, I think it's really special, and a lot of people are raising their families here. Mm-hmm. A lot of European, a lot of affluent European yes. families that are moving um, to New York, yeah, because we again, you have the culture, you have the accessibility to everything, mm-hmm. great schools, great parks. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's an amazing way to. Yeah, I would love, love to know what it was like to grow up as like a kid in New York City because I think it's quite cool. Yeah,
0: and I've always I love that you said that because I I feel like I am always saying it, but everyone's like, oh, you have such a biased view because yeah. like you you love New York City. I'm like, yeah, but like it's it's hard to explain. No, you either love it or you don't. And I think um, you know, I like I said earlier, it's like I, just because you can get so much room in mm-hmm. Texas or what wherever you, or Florida wherever you want, which the Florida market, as far as I know, is not even that great. Right. You know, you know, but. Um, it's like, just like, why is it about bang for buck, right? right. Like, shouldn't it be about where you actually do emotionally, like, yeah. feel that connection with? And that's why I'm like, I don't know. I, I love New York City. I right. think it's the greatest city in the world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. And really, real estate is about, I would say real estate is probably 90% emotional, 10% financial like mm. when people are buying yeah unless they're just buying strictly as an investment and they're investors and they just want to like put money into it yeah um to you know to have that return but mm-hmm. people who are living in it it mostly is emotional you have to love where you live it doesn't yeah. matter if you have the biggest house on the block yeah if you hate your neighborhood mm-hmm. what's the point of having it
0: yeah So
1: it's very it's a very personal thing for someone but right. i think um
0: you know, yeah, you, you can't sh- beat you can't beat the views here. Yeah, you <laughs> can't
1: be, you can't beat the views in New York. Absolutely yeah. not. I mean, maybe maybe in LA, I would say you know it's different. But, Me, yeah, uh,
0: Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. No, I, I like it. And like I said, I lived there right. for seven years, so I like it. But I mean, I don't know. There's just something different about the skylines here. I mean, yeah. you know, seeing Brooklyn and the bridge and and all and the that. The water. So.
1: <laughs> it's the there's a pulse here that you just can't replicate anywhere yeah, else.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely want to chat about real estate basics, like things that people are either curious about for sure. brokers. And or as future buyers, right? So I think this one, a lot of people don't know, like, what is, especially if they would be curious to go into this career, but what percentage does a broker usually take? And how does it work on, like, the both sides aspect, I guess, um, I guess as the listing broker yeah. and um, the one that's helping, like, the client buy? Yeah.
1: Um, so it's an interesting question. I think it really depends what brokerage you work for. Okay the average real estate person is a real estate salesperson underneath a brokerage house. So like I right. work for Compass. Compass holds my brokerage license, mm-hmm. and I am an independent contractor underneath there. Right. Um, so your house takes your split, and your split typically depends on the sales, the gross commission that you earn throughout mm-hmm. the year. So mm-hmm. I would say starting out, the average salesperson probably starts at a 50-50 split, okay. meaning that if the commission is $100,000 to them, they would get $50,000 because... Their brokers would Got take it. the other fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're the buyer's agent or the listing agent, yeah. typically the listing agent who signs the listing with the seller mm-hmm. is the one who determines the commission percent, the total percent of the um, commission that the seller will pay. So okay. if I'm selling your house, mm-hmm. on I would you know we like to always say the TV shows will say you always get six percent. Yeah. You don't always get 6%. <laughs> um, I think in some cases you get 6%, especially if it's a smaller listing price. Mm-hmm. As the properties get more and more expensive, usually right. it goes down to either 5 or 4% of right. the total sale price. Right. But then that commission, that 5%, or we'll use 6 as it's a cleaner number, right? Yeah. So if it's 6% on the deal, I am representing the seller, you're representing the buyer, Yeah. and we do a deal, I would get three mm-hmm. percent. You would get three percent. So that's yeah. six then splits in half, right? And then your brokers would take <laughs> your brokerage would take your percent, their percent out of that three percent. Yeah. And then they would take my brokerage would take my percent out of my split. So if you're on a fifty-fifty split, for example, your three percent then probably becomes one and a half percent. I don't know if that math works exactly the same, but they would, they would take half of whatever you earned. Right. And then the the more you produce and the higher up you get in terms of your gross commission earned, your split changes and it gets higher. So like I'm on, I'm on quite a high split. Uh um, And then, you know, that will, that's, is where I sign my contract at. Mm-hmm. So I will always stay on that split or it will get better the better the more I produce. Right. But we usually on average, when people start out, they mm-hmm. usually start out, I, w- I think around 50.
0: Okay. Yeah. What is the process with getting like, I guess, under a brokerage? Like, because there's I, obviously I, I, I kind of always been, again, been curious myself, yeah. there's like Corcoran is one, mm-hmm. right? And the Compass. And then Sir Serhant is also a Sir new- Hand yeah. is a new brokerage. Yeah. He
1: started, I think, right in the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, I'm not I 100% sure <laughs> when he started, but yeah, I mean, kudos to him for building that out of, out of right. nowhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: How, how does that work? Like, do you reach out to a brokerage and, and inquire? Or again, this is for the people that are, you know, curious to, yeah. so again, this-
1: Yeah, so if you're interested in joining a brokerage, I think the best thing to do is find one that aligns with your values. Mm-hmm. Like when I first started out, um, you know, in, in 2020 I, in 2021, but in 2020, I was doing my research. So right. I, re- I looked at a couple of different brokerages, um, you know, one at Corcoran for one, I looked at Elliman, um, and they just felt very corporate to me. And I was yeah. coming right off of that corporate life. And right. so I was like, okay, I want polar opposite of that as yeah. I'm going into kind of this new, new phase of my yeah. life on this new journey. So I chose Nest Seekers at the time because it was a smaller boutique brokerage. Mm-hmm. You know, Eddie Shapiro is an amazing CEO. Right. He, he owns the company. He built it right after 9-11 himself. Right. It's like the only independently owned, you know, brokerage today. And it's right. global. And I love that because I was coming from a global fashion background. So right. a lot of that really aligned to me with mm-hmm. me. Um, so I reached out to them. I interviewed with them. And then that's how I ultimately joined Nest Seekers in 2021. Mm-hmm. Since then, um, you know, last year I had a really great first year. Mm-hmm. Compass reached out to me a couple of times trying to recruit me. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately as I was thinking about how I wanted to kind of scale my business and, yeah. and build out a team and, and do more and, and be bigger, mm-hmm. I realized I needed a big, just a bigger platform to do that. Mm-hmm. And I really like what Compass has done um, and Robert Refkin with, like, the technology mm-hmm. and really thinking about the user experience yeah. and the customer-facing experience. And it's really, it's really thoughtful and the tech is, like, Mm world-class and all of their executive comes from these world-class backgrounds, whether it's like Vogue or Meta or um, McKinsey, like they have really, really smart, smart people Mm -hmm. working for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really aligned for me with my values and things that were important to me. So I think if you're looking to join, I would really look at like, who are the agents you're following maybe on Instagram? What are they doing Mm -hmm. that inspire you? Who are those people? Where do they work? Does that company kind of fit your values Mm -hmm. and like what you want to be a part of? Because ultimately you're a face of the brokerage when you're sitting in front of a client, you know, you're not only pitching yourself, but Mm -hmm. you're underneath that brand that you work for represents you. So if the company you work for has a bad reputation, you by default, you're like, well, why would you work there if your company, you know, so I think you want to work for a world-class brand that really, you know, does things the right way and operates with integrity is something Mm -hmm. that's super, super important to me, which is another reason that I love Compass. Like I just, it really... Is coming from this best in class yeah. um, place. Yeah. And so you want to work for a brokerage that represents whatever is important to you. Right. Technology was super, super important to me. Yeah. And also working for something that was authentic and felt still feels a little startup-y, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. is disruptive. Yeah. I love that. So, like, that's why it works for me. But I think it's really about who aligns with you. And then you right. send an email or you reach out or you call and you mm-hmm. set up an interview, whether it's with an existing, you know, sales team that mm-hmm. you aspire to. Maybe they're hiring. Yeah. Or you, with a, the actual broker of whatever office it is. So. Right.
0: This is a good question for you because it's kind of like sales related, okay. but how many times would you say is the minimum someone should reach out if they're not getting a response? <laughs> 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 like and I'm sure you you've been on the other side of this too. Yeah, so this is a good one for everyone. Yeah, it's like where is it
1: borderline here. on crazy, right? right. Where it's like persistence then become crazy. Yeah. Um I think I think you should reach out. You should give it at least 3 tries. Okay. And after the third try, I think you have to then either think about maybe I need to take a different approach mm-hmm. or really reassess two things. One, how important is this to you? Yeah. So that you want to show your tenacity. Yeah. On the other hand, you don't want to look desperate. Right. And I'm, like, a big proponent of, like, if I'm, if I <laughs> I'm like, te- and even in relationships, I'm, like, yes. cool, I'm out because I'm, like, I'm not chasing anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then you're also, like, oh, damn it. Should I have tried? I don't know. Right. Um, you know, I think – I think three times is a good number. Okay. I, I you know, because also it depends who you're reaching out to and they right. could be super, super busy. Exactly. So I would say three times if it's something that you really, really want and you really are passionate about it, I would maybe try on your fourth time a different approach. So yeah. So if you send three emails and you've got nothing, maybe it's picking up the phone. Yeah. Um, you know, I... I yeah, No more than five. I say five, you cut it off. <laughs> five, I think it gets crazy. Yeah.
0: Um, no, it's funny because I bring, I bring that up because, you know, I, I worked in sales back in my day. My first job out of college, I worked on ADP. So I had, hmm. you know, this corporate sales experience. I used ADP in all my past life. <laughs> Love payroll. Um, but I remember, you know, I learned from a young age in my early 20s like Mm -hmm. you have to be persistent and like know how to pivot and know when to call versus email Um, and there's a lot of people I know especially my girlfriends I'll be like dude you have to reach out at least a couple times because you can't just expect a response one time and also I know I'm always super busy and there's people that pitch me and all these things and I'm like I'm glad you followed up like two, three right. times because like I'll read it on my phone, but sometimes I forget and totally. then I'll go on my computer. I'm like, I completely missed it because, you know, like unless Google reminds, Gmail reminds me, hey, you missed totally. this email, right? So it's important to to follow up. But yeah. yeah, you're right. It's like, you know, there's a time where it's like you stop.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think after five times. Um, yeah. And I, I also think it depends the level of person you're reaching out to, right? Yeah. If you're reaching out to like the CEO, to your point, they're probably crazy busy yeah. and like your email is not on their top of mind. Yeah. But you're there, you know, hopefully they'll see your name a couple of times and be like, oh, maybe I need to open this. Yeah. Um. Or they're like, oh, I got to delete this. I don't know. Yeah. It can go either way. It's a really blurry thing. I, I think three to five is probably the right number. Yeah. That's funny. I was in a marketing meeting today and they, I, I learned something new and they're like, someone needs to see your name seven times if they don't know who you are for it to really stick with them. Yeah. And they're like, it's not five. It's not six. It's not until the seventh time that they retain it. Yeah. And there's all this data around, like you have to there see is. it in like print and see it in email. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's seven times. <laughs>
0: it's funny because I- uh, yeah, I feel like it really, it varies as well. Yeah. So I think it is, especially if it's someone, especially if you know that you are offering a really good value right. or like a good reason as to why you can connect with that person. I've always been persistent that way. I remember in sales though, they taught me like, that especially when I was selling a big deal with an ADP, they were like, the minimum is seven times. They did say seven, seven to nine. Yeah. Yeah. I learned that today. So,
1: okay. So maybe (laughs) it's seven to nine, but don't
0: don't text your ex seven to nine times. That's for sure. Dating (laughs) is like, that's a whole different thing. (laughs) Business is separate. Dating is separate. (laughs) Um, Okay. Another thing I feel like a lot of people would love to know with New New York real estate, especially what's the minimum percentage down?
1: Varies by building. Okay. Oh, does yeah, it? Yeah, varies okay. by building. So you typically, if you're buying in a co-op, those are a bit stricter and usually 20 to 25 percent down. Got it. Yeah. Um, and then in a condo, I would say anywhere between 10 and 20 percent. Um mm-hmm. But in condos, oftentimes you can do 10 percent just depending on the building. But okay. Not like single family homes. I think out in the suburbs, you can do like FHA loans where you can go as low as 3 percent. In right. the city, it's it's a bit trickier.
0: Okay. Um, what are common mistakes you see for buyers or especially first-time buyers or people that are new to the luxury market? I mean, I don't actually at that point too, I don't know if you'd, you'd be as much of a newbie if you're <laughs> buying like free luxury stuff, but I'm always really curious, like what are some, pe- what are some things that just people might not be aware about? And then like you're kind of on the other end. So what are some things that are good tips for people who just in general want to buy in the future? You guys, I've been drinking Magic Mind for months now and I have to say, it's freaking gold. I mean, it literally tastes so good that I sometimes drink it twice a day, which, by the way, nothing wrong with doing so, but they do recommend only one a day. So that goes to show how much I do really love this stuff, and I did drink one before starting my workday today. So why I love Magic Mind so much is because it actually makes me feel really calm and focused and it's also that perfect push that gets me into my flow state, which is what it's meant to do. And I'll share a few key facts and ingredients in this product. So it is known to increase and improve productivity. It has very little caffeine and it only comes from matcha tea. It's a great alternative for coffee. If you drink coffee for energy and focus, I personally don't. I like to drink Magic Mine with my coffee or just after because the morning coffee and just making coffee, like I just don't wanna give that up. It also helps fight off fatigue and brain fog as well as some ADD symptoms. And the best part, it is all natural ingredients including adaptogens, matcha, and nootropics. If you've been thinking about it for a while, I highly recommend you give this a try. It comes in a box of 15 and it's definitely the perfect amount for the month. And even better, you can enjoy 20% off your purchase with the code FULFILL at magicmind.co slash fulfill during checkout. That's FULFILL, F-U-L-F-I-L-L at magicmind.co slash fulfill. Enjoy.
1: Yeah, I think the first piece is like, get make sure you're pre-approved so you know how much money you can spend. I've had people go into and fall in love with property and then they're like, oh, I don't have a pre-approval. And then they're losing the property because there's another qualified, more qualified buyer Mm -hmm. who's ready to jump. So I think before you start looking and you start falling in love with something, Make sure you get your pre-approval from your mortgage broker. Know how much you can spend and be prepared that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that way you have all of your finances and everything in order. So if you fall in love with a property, you can act quickly. I think in this market, too, some of the mistakes people are making are they're waiting. And they're like, oh, I'm going to think about it. It's tough because it's probably one of the largest financial decisions someone will ever make. But you're in a market right now where if you think you're going to lose it because somebody else is ready and they're not not hesitating. So... Mm -hmm. I think making sure that you go in and you're ready to pull the trigger, Mm -hmm. there's no... Too quick to make it. There's no such thing as making an offer too quickly, right? Um, you know that's a very and the whole like oh I'm gonna if I wait a little bit and I play hard to get I'll get a <laughs> better deal like it's not happening in this market. So yeah. if you love it, it, to my point earlier, New York City is an emotional buy. If you love it, you're gonna live there, you're going to enjoy it. This is your home. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna regret over overpaying, and you probably aren't overpaying because you're gonna love it and experience it. So I think being yeah. prepared, knowing what you can afford, going in um, with having all of your financials in order, are so so important, but mm-hmm. also. So don't be afraid to make that offer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I also think something that buyers make a mistake of often too is coming in too low mm-hmm. to try to see. Mm-hmm. What they can get, um. and that often has the opposite effect Ooh. because you insult the seller, and then they just <laughs> don't want to negotiate with you. Yeah, Ooh, so that's good to know. Don't don't yeah. go in too low, because remember, there's a human being on the yes. other side of this deal, <laughs> and it's a huge, you know, and you want to make sure that you're being respectful, and you don't want to insult the sellers. I'm this, that one deal I was referring to earlier. We've been going back and forth so much, and he went in so low <laughs> that the sellers were like, we don't we don't care if he comes up. We don't want to sell to him. He has no respect. And right. I was like, no, 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 it's not like that right, at all. Right. Right. So I ended up putting them and it was a scary decision to make, but I put them both in a room together yeah, Ooh. and I made them meet each other because mm-hmm. I was like, you're both, you're two great couples and yeah. you're actually really kind people and you have so much in common. Yeah, Talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, So, you know, I think remember that this business also is human yeah. and it's about connection and it's emotional for you as a buyer. It's also emotional for the seller. So mm-hmm. I think if you can kind of think pragmatically as the, in that way, you yeah. oftentimes have a leg up from the other person who's just kind of spinning out
0: there. So right, right. being
1: prepared and, and also recognizing, you know, how you treat people is important.
0: Yeah. What about for someone that aspires to buy property in New York City at some point, someone like myself, obviously. (laughs) Um, Just in general, from what you observed and your experience in New York and in this market, what is maybe the top advice you have for anyone that aspires one day? Because I think it's, again, very daunting and it seems very scary and there'll be people that will try to talk you out of it because it's like, who the hell does that? You know, who pays that price? But (laughs) you know, like you have experience and you you live it. So any piece of advice on that end?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you know you wanna buy one, start saving now so you're ready. Mm-hmm. Um, you know and I, I I have this motto that I like like try to like live by is like always be ready so when the opportunity arises you can actually act, mm-hmm. I think. And I learned this in my younger life of like being unprepared just in life in general. And yeah. you almost miss an opportunity. Yeah. So now I'm always ready for whatever opportunity comes my way. Mm-hmm. So being making sure you're financially ready yeah. and you start, you know, the, there's no too soon to start planning for that and yeah. saving money and, and being financially ready. I would like go to different neighborhoods, see mm-hmm. if you like the vibe during the day, mm-hmm. see if you like the vibe during the night. I think it's really, really important, especially if you're looking in an area that you haven't lived in before. Yeah. You need to see it during the day. Go mm-hmm. have brunch, go walk around, get coffee in the morning mm-hmm. and then come back at night. Yeah. When the streets are quiet. Right. Like how does it feel to you then? Yeah. Or or that's maybe true. the streets are busy cuz it's you're in, you know and you're in the village and it's like a really hot area. Right. How does that environment feel to you? But right. feeling it during two different times a day mm-hmm. is really important. Yeah, and sometimes when you decide place. you want to buy, yeah. you almost don't have the time to kind of make that decision. Right. So if you have the liberty of doing it now, do it now. Find yeah. out the areas you love. Then I mm-hmm. also think being flexible on you know what you're looking for. It doesn't matter what your budget is. And I promise you it doesn't matter how large your budget is, you're never gonna find something that has everything you want. Mm -hmm. And that is (laughs) I deal with it all day long with people with astronomical budgets and they're like, why can't I find it? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I think understand and I think it's like translates to dating, it translates to your home. Like you you can't you have this wish list, right? But I also think you have to be realistic with it. Right. And what are the things that are like the absolute absolute must-have. Like for mm-hmm. me it's location, light, view. Right. Those are my most important things. I can compromise Same. on, oh, on other things, simple. right? <laughs> yeah. Like I like I can sense. like build out a closet or <laughs> yeah, like change yeah, yeah. a cabinet or like you know change a light fixture and right. make it better. Right. But what you can never change, you can mm-hmm. never change the location. Right. You can't change the view and you can't change the light. Yeah. So what are the things like that's to true. me, those are things that mm-hmm. are built in. Yeah. So that I think figuring out what your non-negotiables are really mm-hmm. important. And then thinking about, like I say this to buyers all the time when they're like, "Oh, you know, I don't want to spend that extra fifteen thousand dollars because they won't come down." So I'm like, okay, so what is the number if you lost the property at that you'd right. be really disappointed? You're like, shoot, I should have spent that extra fifteen or twenty thousand. Like right. if you lost it over twenty thousand dollars, would you be heartbroken yeah. and say, I wish I did it? Yeah. Or would you have been like, you know, I really couldn't afford it. Right. And that's only the buyer can determine that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I always guide people that way too. Like, what is that number? You have yeah. to know like the what that number is where you'd be bummed if you lost it. Yeah. Um, so I think those are my big things. Okay. But, yeah. yeah,
0: that's good advice. And I, I like that too. I'm the same way. I'm all about the view, the location, um, and what was the third one? Light. Light. Oh yeah, the lighting. Oh my yeah. god, that's so important yeah. to me, especially because half the time I work from home. Like you know, some days, and so that's important. And especially with like I do content creation mm-hmm. as well. So like that's you know it's for, so, <laughs> so important. It is is so important. And also especially in New York, I was always like I did not want to have to deal with um what's it the, the cockroaches. Yeah. <laughs> my
1: fir- my first apartment ever when I left Long Island and I moved I moved to Brooklyn. I moved into this old candy factory loft and. Uh-huh. and uh, Carroll Gardens, and they had like twenty foot ceilings. It was super cool. Yeah, it was like the coolest studio apartment ever. Right. And I was on the third floor, and I didn't think that co- those cockroaches. One, I had never seen them before because we don't have them in the suburbs. Right. Right. But I had seen them. Then started to see them at work, and I was like, "Oh, this is so weird." Right. So. I didn't even think, but my friend was like, oh, don't worry. They don't go up past, they don't go up. They don't go upstairs. You'll be fine. So I'm taking, this is like the grossest story, but I'm so traumatized by it. Like it'll never, it is never going away. So I'm taking a shower one day oh, and I'm like, what is this plastic? Like, you know, you ever open like the cap of something and like the plastic falls on the floor? I'm yeah. like, what is this plastic on my feet? I didn't open anything in the shower. And then I opened my eyes and coming up through oh, the drain. Oh my God. Like, I can't. I get the chills even talking about it. There was, like, 30 of them just coming up because they, like, fold themselves and they come up through the the pipes. 30 of them? I I remember texting my dad a picture. I was horrified, terrified. And I was washing my face, right? So you're, like, soap in your eyes and you're, like, what's happening it was the most traumatic experience of my life. Oh. I don't remember
0: what, no, why I told you that story just now or how we pivoted. No, oh, you said you were I scared? Said, yeah, no, it's because I personally, like, heard that that can, like, it, the, it, yeah, they exist here. They exist, yeah. You yeah. know, when I lived in LA, like, it's, just, it's dry weather, right. so it's not humid, especially, you know, I'm not going to see that stuff during the summer, but I was like, okay, how can I avoid that? Don't live in a neighborhood that has a lot of restaurants, mm-hmm. like West Village, yep. um, and live in a high-rise. Nice. <laughs> It's true. And so I was like, this is narrowing down. So that yeah. was my thought. There you boss. go. <laughs> yeah. when I, was I
1: haven't, stupid. I mean, knock on wood, I haven't seen him in a high rise yet. I yeah. haven't, to, it was like a small loft building. but. Right. Gosh, those, those things,
0: yeah. I can't. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's that's New York, real, yeah. you know, li- living for you. right? <laughs> right. Everyone, everyone so glad, glad I moved.
1: <laughs> so glad I left the suburbs. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, okay, I want to dive into some, like, personal life aspects. Morning and evening routine. I, you said earlier you, w- you woke up at 5 a.m. today? Yeah. Right? I'm,
1: I've always been a morning person since I was, like, so, so small. And I mm-hmm. think it was because I grew up riding horses. I mean, we would leave at 3 o'clock in the morning and get on the road to yeah. pick up the horses and go to horse shows all over um, mm-hmm. and drive all over the country. And there was that routine of like they need to eat at a certain time. They, mm-hmm. you know, they're you're responsible for this other living being, right? Right. So I, I think as like like because it, I was younger and we were getting up so early. I now am always up usually by six, even when I don't mm. want to be. Unfortunately, right. yeah. But now that I adopted my little puppy, Aww. she loves to get up by five, and she's just like on my face, kissing Aww. me, like wake up, wake up, wake up. <laughs> and it's a very it's a lovely way to wake up. Mm-hmm. Um. So I try to get up. I'll usually like lay there for like another hour, right? Um, then I'll take her for a walk, and then I try to go to the gym in the morning, mm-hmm. and then kind of start my day. I always like to be in the office by eight. Wow! I think when it comes from my like my past corporate life, yeah, and I was working a lot with the Germans. Um, yes with Germany, our German office, yeah. um, and that time changed because their afternoon was my morning. Right. So I had, to, if I wanted something done, I had to get it done early. So it's right. kind of ingrained in me. But I don't like chasing the day. Yeah. It stresses me out to feel like I'm chasing like whatever would be coming at me. Right. So I like starting before anyone else. I love, I'd rather see the sunrise than mm-hmm. the sunset. Yeah. Um, I'll take both if I can. But <laughs> I'm like a huge, like, get up early, start mm-hmm. the day before anyone else. Yeah. Be prepared, be ready for my clients mm-hmm. and, and go. Um. I try to go to the office like three to five days, three to four days a week, and then yeah. the other day or so I'll go to I'll work at a like Soho House or yeah. work from home um, as so, it like a change of pace. But right. and then sometimes I'm out with clients. It really depends kind of what my clients want or, yeah. or need it's a very funny business because there's some days where you're so back to back where you're like, did I even drink water today? Or right. like, <laughs> like, what happened? Because I've been so busy. And then yeah. there's some days where you think you're going to be so busy and everything gets canceled at the last minute. Yeah. Or there's some days where you're like, oh, I have nothing on my calendar. And then all of a <laughs> sudden you're like, oh, my calendar is crazy. I have to be here. I have to be here. And it's yeah. such a, you're always in flux. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things about the business you have to get comfortable with is yeah. like, Nothing is set in stone, and everything's always moving because your right. schedule is really dictated about around all the clients you're working with, right. and whatever is happening in their life. So, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of get used to that. So, I don't really can't really say I have like a true routine because it's always shifting. Yeah. The one thing is is that I'm always up super early, okay, um, and I try to, you know make sure that I I work out in the morning. If I don't work out in the morning, I will work out in the evening. But yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you do anything specific to ensure you're prepared for the next day? Do you do that like the morning of or like the night before or anything that are maybe like key habits that would be good for, you know, people who are in their career right now and maybe want to implement similar habits?
1: I put everything I have to do in my calendar, I mean, okay, down yeah. to my Instagram posts. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, too. social media has become such a big part of our lives, and yep. especially as entrepreneurs. It's mm-hmm. like one of the, probably the most critical thing. And I've gotten, I would say like 30% of my business last year came from referrals from so- so social media, which yeah. is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything goes into my calendar, down to my social media posts. So I'm always knowing like what's there. And mm-hmm. it's always that reminder I have recurring appointments. Mm-hmm. Um at the end of my day, I always look at my calendar for that day to mm-hmm. make sure I didn't like miss anything or any tasks that I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then I always look at what the next morning will be. Mm-hmm. And then when I get up in the morning, first thing I do before I do anything else mm-hmm. is I check my social media. Mm-hmm. Is uh, my social media, my calendar to yeah. make sure that I have everything okay. on there that yeah. I need to it's do true. or, like, what yeah. is the, my day look like? Mm-hmm. Where do I have any gaps? Yeah. Um. But checking my calendar right before I go to bed and yeah. then first thing in the morning is, is so, so important.
0: Yeah. yeah, I do that as well. And I tell yeah. everyone, you know, it, it seems very nerdy in a sense to, like, be so by your calendar. But honestly, when you it's get like to a, a certain safer. level, yeah, you have to. And and you have to be able to be organized and, and be timely with that because I think I'm a creative, but I've always had a very more – entrepreneurial like mm-hmm. business background and so I think that structure is important and you can have other things flow and and, and whatever but that structure is important to like get things yeah
1: <laughs> 100% I'm a huge proponent of the
0: calendar yeah um I I'm curious do you have like any adversity from the past that you you look back and you're like honestly without that adversity I would not be who I am or where I am today that would be maybe a good reflection for the younger folks that are like oh my god the shit that I'm going through right now is so bad but like when yeah. they, I've always liked it when I heard someone say yeah you know what? I went through this in in my 20s but then like honestly without it, it I just would not be in this place totally yeah so I think back to when I
1: was like still working at Banana Republic mm-hmm. um, and I had just gotten promoted to store manager and there was this guy that worked there Such a nice man. Um, But he had been with the company for 25 years, Mm -hmm. and he had never gotten promoted to be a store manager. Mm. And I remember him going and complaining to HR and saying, she's too young. She doesn't deserve it. I deserve it because I've been here longer. And I remember then, you know, of course, all the younger people around me rallied around me and support me. But then there was all of the there was, like, then this divide, right? right, of, like, the people who were, like, that's amazing that you got this because you work so hard and you're killing yourself and, like, you're so great. Yeah. And then there was all the older people who had all this resentment towards me and were yeah. so nasty and then they were just constantly trying to make my life difficult mm-hmm. and trying to, like, get me in trouble and trying to make me make mistakes. And, yeah. and it was so daunting to the point where I was almost, like, I don't want to do this. I'm giving up on it. Like, I can't wow. handle, like, you know, you're in your like early 20s and you're working your ass off and I'm like putting in the work and it's not like anyone handed me anything, right? I've earned it. Um, And then there's someone who thinks that they should have earned it because they technically worked there more years but Mm -hmm. they you know, leave five minutes before the end of their shift all the time. They never want to help out. They don't want to do anything. They're not a team player. Yeah. And I remember how daunting it felt to me. And I just felt so beat up all the time um, Mm. about it. And then finally, I was like, you know what, like, I'm not gonna let someone else define me. I know, I know who I am. I know what I give. I know that I earn this. Yeah. Um, And I kind of had this like, fuck it attitude. Like, if you don't like like, it's fine. I'm gonna keep doing my thing. And I truly believe in this world and in everything. There's, There's like a seat at the table for everyone because we all have our own strengths. Mm -hmm. And like what you bring to the table, I maybe can't. So, you know, we're all our own individuals. And I think if you can really look at like life and especially in business collaboratively Mm -hmm. and realize that we all have our own strengths and we all bring something different to the table. And if you can collaborate, Versus kind of divide, you're actually like, be way more successful. So I started to like really like try to like coach myself through that, um, and then I was like, you know what? I'm gonna stay the course. I'm not gonna let some negative old man like right, right. dictate my future. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like had this like mindset shift. Yeah. Um, but I'm so glad it happened, and I'm glad that I went through it at that age because yeah. it taught me to be a bit more resilient. Yeah. And had I not, and I just given up. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know where I would have been, or had I just, it just been smooth sailing, I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have known how to deal with adversity, right? right, As I got older. So I think any adversity you experience when you're younger, like, look at it as like a gift. Yeah. Take it as a gift because you're learning something and it's Mm going to make you that much stronger on the other side of it. And you might not feel it in the moment. (laughs) And trust me, there's time, like, I can look back now and I'm like, oh, that's why that had to happen. Mm -hmm. Like, You know, like, these, all these things that happened that I thought were, like, devastating at the time, Mm -hmm. actually, if that didn't happen to me, like, I wouldn't be where I am today. Like, when I, you know, I even think about, like, when, you know, I I left my great job that I loved at Boss and I went to run this startup and then that collapsed. I remember when it collapsed, I was like, I had this moment of, like, oh, my God, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I made this decision. Like, I should have never done this. Mm -hmm. And then like two weeks after I was like, wow, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me because it's now pushed me in a path that I Mm -hmm. wanted to go that I wouldn't have done myself. So I think you have to really look at it from that all things that the, bad you know the bad work experience the bad friendship the bad relationship like that's all like preparing you to be better if you but you have to be able to look at it like that right yeah and it takes time and it takes you know i'm older so a little life experience yeah
0: yeah yeah. i love that i mean speaking of life experience is there any piece of advice that that really sticks out to you from your 20s that like someone said to you or somewhere you read that you were like "Ooh, this is like something that everyone needs to know
1: everyone needs to know
0: Especially for women, you know, it could be it could it could be anything it Doesn't yeah. have to be career related, like relationships, even friendships, like that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I think I don't even think that's like a piece of advice. It's just something that I like. Just in life, mm-hmm. like it's never that you can overcome anything. Mm-hmm. Like when my mom passed away, that was the most devastating thing that's ever happened to me, and I still to this day am so deeply affected by it. Mm-hmm. But I had – there was a point where I was, like, three years past it. And um, I still was in this, like, super, super dark place. And I was, like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. And I, I don't ever want any of these things. So I don't mm-hmm. ever want to experience that again. Mm-hmm. And then you have to – you know, I started to, like, okay, you can't keep allowing yourself to stay here. You have a choice to make, right? Right, right. And you have to decide. Are you going to stay in this negative space mm-hmm. or, or are you going to try to fight and find some – like, the, the shining light on the other end of it? Yeah. And I think – you know whether it's the bad breakup, the the loss of someone you love, the a bad friendship, like yeah. all of these things happen to us, mm-hmm. and not that they you shouldn't reflect on them, and they're not that they're in some cases devastating and don't change you because they do. But I yeah. think if you allow them to change you, like mm-hmm. I think all of those things I've gone through have changed me and almost made me a better person in a mm-hmm. sense. As I'm mm-hmm. definitely more self aware, I'm yeah. definitely you know like you know, losing my mom and I went through some other health issues, like when I turned 30, mm-hmm. I, um, it really taught me that like our time is precious. So I'm a bit more, I'm a bit more careful with my time That's and who good. I, yeah. who I share my time with. Yeah. And I think if you allow yourself to be like, you are the holder of your life yep. and you have to know that. And yeah. you have to know that every decision you make, you are the one who has to go to sleep with it yeah. at night, not yeah. someone else. So make the decisions that feel right to you, mm-hmm. but be, Be selfish with your time and and who you let around you too. Like Mm -hmm. I keep a very very small circle. I love everybody, right? But who gets close to me, who really knows me, I'm very careful with. And that's come with age and experience and like having you know not great people in my life that you kind of have to filter through. And when Mm -hmm. those relationships ended, I was like, oh my god, I can't I can't ever like move forward from that. Right. But I'm like, oh, that was actually such a gift. Yes. So be selfish with your time, like be around people who love you and care for you and who see you and mm-hmm. I think being seen is probably like the most I don't know to me is like one of the most important things right. that people can really see you for who you are yeah. um but yeah you can get over anything and mm-hmm. I think it's amazing how resilient
0: you can be yeah you know yeah and, and I think too I, I've definitely gone through a lot in my life to have you know recognized that so I think it, again most of us can say that because we experienced it right. and so it's hard for people to, you know because it's like you have to experience that mm-hmm. adversity, you have to experience those hardships in order to feel what it, you in order to learn that later, you yeah. know, to reap the rewards, the dividends later, because I think it's nothing in life comes easy, you know, I agree.
1: And I found that the things that come easy, aren't the things usually that stay, like, yep. <laughs> I really, really believe that, like, I'm like, okay, if I have to work a little bit harder for this, it actually will mean more when I get there, yeah. when I, get, I yep. get that reward. So but, yeah, I totally agree. I think that applies in relationships. Oh, it? oh <laughs> great. I agree.
0: <laughs> I was like persistent. I was like, yep, no, I totally <laughs> agree. I'm
1: like, oh, that's too easy. No, no,
0: no, no, no. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, you can, if you can't experience the bad
1: stuff, then you probably aren't the one.
0: Oh, New York dating life.
1: Oh. <laughs> we need a whole other podcast no, on that. we do. We do. <laughs> I would love
0: that. Um, okay. Well, last question. It's something I ask everyone on this show. But you, you know, clearly have had a lot of experience. You've been able to reflect a lot. Um, but reflecting on everything we, we definitely talked about today and in, in, in your life as well, what would you say fulfills you in life?
1: I think it's being able to, to do what I want to do on my own terms. Mm-hmm. Like just being able to live my life on my own terms for myself I think has been the most fulfilling thing Possible. Um, but also, that allows me to then give more to the people I love.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And mm-hmm. that ultimately is so important because you have to be grounded in yourself and you have to be happy in yourself in yeah. order to have the people around you be happy. Yeah. Um, and I, and the people, you know, to give that back to them. So I've really learned that with age. But I think, you know, what fulfills me is like my morning fate. I left that off my routine, but I FaceTime my nephew. I have a two year old nephew um, <laughs> every morning. It's like my routine. We FaceTime me, him, yeah. and the dog, and my brother and my sister in law. Um, But it's, you know, like that's fulfilling to me, Mm -hmm, right? It's being mm -hmm. able to like spend that time with him even if I can't be there from a distance. Um, But I think being able to be authentically myself Mm -hmm. is the most liberating thing. And Mm -hmm. you just, as you get older guys, you're going to start to give zero fucks. And that's not not like an arrogance, (laughs) right? I think there's difference between confidence and arrogance. Like confidence is, you know what, like I am who I am. Mm -hmm. And it's not for everybody. And that's cool because Mm. not everyone's your person.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And that takes time and age. Trust me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. That was a mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much oh my for. God, thank you. Yeah, coming in today. Um, where can everyone find you if they want to check out your Instagram, yeah. your social media? Feel free to share everything.
1: Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at jamirichichi.com. It's quite hard to spell. Um, <laughs> but do you want me to spell that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go okay, ahead and fine. Spell it, yeah. Sorry, it's J A I M E R I C H I C H I on Instagram.
0: Perfect. I will link that in the show notes and. And Thank if you. anyone wants to look through New York real estate, yeah. and aspire to be there one day, <laughs> <you> <laughs> call <can> me. Do. <laughs> Thank you again. I oh appreciate it. Oh my god! It. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Of course. Yeah.
0: And that was all for today's episode with Jamie Rakiki. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I really did. I, I I think the last time I had someone that talked about real estate was back in twenty. 20- Yeah, I think it was 2020. And I think real estate and just like understanding it from like the buyer's side as well as you know, if you ever potentially think about going into it as a career and as a broker, definitely just worth knowing some of this information. And especially if you are in New York City or ever aspire to live here as well, definitely a great episode to know more about. So if you enjoyed this episode, as always, I would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and Spotify. And of course, share the episode on your instagram story tag both jamie and i the podcast instagram is at what fulfills you and as always if you've been curious about the merch especially the best-selling card game you can get everything at what and you can use the code what fulfills you 10 for 10% off your purchase again that's at what fulfills you.com. thanks again for tuning in today i will chat with you all in the next episode